0: And I just want to say that uh, we're going to need you in the next few weeks to walk us through this land. God, we always need you, but we want to be especially mindful. We want to be fully aware of who you are and what, who we are and the, the moments that we just don't feel like that we have enough, that we're not good enough. That we don't have what it takes. Our ship has sailed. We just don't, we've seen our best days. They're behind us. God, will you use these next few weeks to remind us that, listen, none of this is the destination? And so, Father, as we walk through the land between today, I pray that you begin to work on our hearts, that you would work on the habits, what we're going to call our habits of the heart today, God, as, again, we walk through these seasons or as we prepare to walk through a season, as Vicki said, is dry or is uncertain. So Father, bless us today as we kind of work through this together and we pray this through your son's name. Amen. I just want to give you kind of a quick recap. If you weren't here last week, it's not a big deal. We just did some intro, and like I said, you can go back and listen to that. But what we did was we defined what is called the land between. It's a term that we're going to use over and over and over again for the next few weeks to represent this moment in life where you are coming out of something, but you're not where you want to be yet, or you're not where you think you're going yet, and you're experiencing this space in between, and you don't know what to do with it. It's kind of wearing you out. It's building frustrations at times. Maybe it's showing up in ways of anger and resentment or bitterness, and so we just kind of wanted to put a definition on what is the land between, and what we came up with is this, is that it's where life is not as it once was, and where the future is in question, it's that moment where you, you've come out of what, what, what you've known, we said, you know, it's where normal is interrupted, there's something happened along the way where you were going along life just fine. You just you had developed these routines and then all of a sudden normalcy was disrupted and now you find yourself not where you hope to be. You're not even looking at the future. You're trying to survive the day, but you're in this space in between. It's those moments or, or where you, you are in an undesired space and you can look to each side of you, both past and present, and see that both of those... One you hope to be, one you know to be, more desirable than the undesired space that you currently stand in. So, what do we do with this? Because here's the thing the fact that we realize, and it's a fact of life, is that every single one of us, while we may not deal with the same land betweens, that the scenery in the land between has nothing to do with circumstance, but will look eerily similar in certain ways and is applicable to every single one of us. That we are either coming out of a land between, we're about to go into a land between. Some of you know it because it's a slow fade. For others, you're going to find yourself suddenly and abruptly in a land between that you didn't even see coming, or you're going to be in the land between right now. So if it's such a big deal and all of us are dealing with it, then we said let's deal with it together, and that's what we're doing. A few uh, months ago, Lori and I decided that we needed to make some life changes. Uh, one big life change that was heading my way on December 15th of last year, I turned 40, and, and so like every 40-year-old, I began to evaluate life, and I thought it was over. But here I'm, I'm still standing. I'm still fine. You know, it was just that moment I had dreaded the entire year since 2016 I thought this is going to be the year. And so anyway, I thought life was going to end as I know it, but I said I'm going to do everything I can to keep it from ending. And so we decided we needed to make some life changes, some habit changes. And on the list, we said, "You know what? Let's make this year 2018. Let's make it about saving more money." And and so we 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 put together some things and we decided we were going to try to be better about some finances. But one of the big things that we wanted to do, and I know you've kind of heard about this before because it was such a, a bad moment, but we decided we wanted to do some health health. changes. And so one of the things that we felt like we needed to do is we needed to start eating better. If you know me at all, uh, I am a foodie to the 100th percent. I love, love, love food. In fact, I got a text this last week from one of our partners that said, hey, I know you know food. We've got a date night. We've got some babysitters. Give me your top five places you would eat in Nashville. And I go, wow, that's hard to think of just five, right? And so I sent back a list. and, And so I'm a big foodie. And you need to realize this, Lori and I don't have kids. And so every night, literally, Every night of the week, we went out to eat. And so that was our rhythms. Six, seven nights a week, we were out to eat. Five days a week, I'm eating out lunch. And so I never cooked at home. We never cooked at home. We didn't eat at home. And so you can understand how our health concerning food had gotten completely out of control. You can only eat five points pizza so many nights a week or Mexican so many nights a week, and and somehow that not affect you and your health. And so we said, okay, in order to do this, we're going to have to kind of create a baseline that is just zero. In order to balance this out, there's no balancing, you know, five points pizza three days a week instead of four days a week, you know, and so we said, what if we just hit a hard reset? And so January 2nd, because nobody can do it on the 1st, January 2nd, we decided that the best plan of action for us was this thing called Whole30, which again, you heard me complain about it the entire month of January. And so, we, we enter into this Whole30, if you don't know what that's about, it's just a reset. It's saying that we're going to clean out everything that's not holistic and we're going to kind of replace it with some things. And the 30 days is about creating enough time where you can mentally but also physically kind of reset. Things were going fine until day 17. And I remember this. Day 17, now remember, this is a guy that never cooks. We're never at home. From 5:30 to 9 o'clock every night of the week, we're out to dinner with somebody at some place in town. And I'm doing dishes for the 16th night in a row. Now I have just eaten chicken and some sort of green, whether that be broccoli, asparagus, or avocado, for 16 straight days almost. And so I'm doing the dishes which I don't mind doing, and by doing the dishes, I mean rinsing them off and putting them in the dishwasher. But I had a moment where I just dropped what I had in my hand, and I said, Lori, I'm done. And she says, but we're doing so well. Like, what's the problem? Like, you didn't have this problem yesterday. I said, I am sick and tired of the same food, I'm sick and tired of doing dishes, and I'm sick and tired of not eating with my friends. I'm sick and tired, and so I began to rattle off, and I had a moment, and what I love about my wife was she she was patient, and she let me get all the way through, and she said, you're done, the dishes aren't going to do themselves, right? (laughs) But I was over it. I wanted no more broccoli, and it didn't matter, steam it, grill it, bake it, it didn't, I was done. I was sick and tired of the same old, same old, and here was the problem with it. I lost sight at day 17 of where this was going. I weighed myself this morning. I'm proud of it. I weighed myself this morning, and since January 2nd, I'm 30 pounds down. But here's the thing. now I I got more to go. But I lost sight of where this was taking me because at day 17, I was about 8 or 9, 10. And I'm going, this isn't worth 8 or 10 pounds. But I also forgot... Where I came from. And I had this kind of romanticized version of what I came, where I came from. And I knew that where I came from wasn't healthy. I knew that I didn't necessarily want to go back there. But here I was standing at my sink, and I was sick and tired, and I was in this middle. If you had told me then that, hey, if you'll just hang in, and by the middle of February, you'll be at 30 pounds, and by the middle of March, you might be at 40 pounds, I would have been like, all right. But I didn't. I I couldn't see there, but all I could see was where I came from, and I knew I was just over it. Sick and tired of the same old. You ever been there? Have you been to this space where you just go, listen, I'm sick and tired. And maybe some of you are there right now. I am sick and tired of my job. I'm sick and tired of school. I'm sick and tired of my living conditions. I'm sick and tired of being treated bad by those who I live with. I'm sick and tired of my medical conditions. You go to the doctor and you go, for, for the love of all that is science and medical, can you just give me a diagnosis so that we can get on with a game plan? But I've seen five specialists and nobody knows why I have headaches and nobody knows why I'm dealing with things. I would be happy to get with bad news at this point, but I'm tired of being in this moment where I, 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 I can't live anymore. Because I know what it was like back here. I don't know what's going on over here. I'm just stuck in this moment. I'm sick and tired of, of feeling this way all the time. I, I'm sick and tired. I just want to be normal. I, I wish I could somehow emotionally get to a place where I, I can feel normal or physically get to a place where I can feel normal. I'm just sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being Overlooked. I go into work every day and I'm on time. In fact, I'm, I'm ahead of time, but I can't ever get an advancement. Nobody notices me. I'm sick and tired of being overlooked and undervalued. If I could just get to a place where somebody would see my worth and see my value, I could get out of this land between and I could advance to what's next. But here I sit, here I stand, you insert into your own blank, but I'm sick and tired of being in this space where I currently find myself Living life. And I know, guys, that my food fit, my grumbling about food is minor and it pales in comparison to some of the real life issues that you guys deal with and that I will deal with and that we will together deal with. But here's the thing about it it's going to start small. What we're going to see today is that this, these sink moments where I throw down a fork and a glass and say, I'm done. I'm, I, what starts small will happen. Many times will become the things that give us roots in these hard moments. What starts small will begin to take form and shape in our hearts. And here's what will happen: many times it's the small things that have turned into now the roots that keep us stuck in the land between and the hard things. Let me get it. Let me point point it out in in a process to you. I want you to, to, if you don't hear anything else today, you don't write anything else down, we'll we'll tweet this out later, but I want this to become what you read and what you say aloud for the next few days. That guys, habits of the heart lead to patterns of response, and that is what is going to direct your steps in your land between. So you've established what your land between is, what you're sick and tired of. Now I want us to take a step back for just a second and realize that the habits of your heart are going to lead to patterns of response, and that's what's going to direct you in the land between. You can't just get a quick exit out. We said last week as we kind of ended, you can't just make it go away. You can't wish it away. So here you are, and the habits of your heart will turn into Patterns of response, and that's what's going to direct you in these land-betweens, whatever the land-between is. I told you that this was not a series on a quick exit, because I don't know what your land-betweens are. I'm not going to give you five steps, but I know that this is going to be a part of the process, that whatever habits of the heart you have developed will lead to patterns of responses, and that will direct you through whatever your land between is. We see it in Numbers 11. We've been looking at the Israelites. And so if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put some of this on the screen. But we talked about this this group of people, this nation that had been formed and been covenanted and promised by God through Abraham and his descendants. And so we get into this moment that we call the exodus. And the Exodus is where they had formerly lived in slavery for hundreds of years. They had begged and begged, God, get us out of this. And so he sends Moses to deliver them from this. And so this land between that we're kind of in, that takes place in Numbers 11 and Exodus 16 through 25, is in this land between. They're coming out of Egypt. They're coming out of slavery. They're heading toward the promised land, but they're not there yet. And so here they are. They're stuck. And so you have to remember back that in Exodus chapter 3, God gives Moses a promise, and every that would have seen the promise would have been like sweet we're all in where do we sign up where do we get on the bus we are in and the promise went like this he came to Moses and he said so listen I have come down which I love the imagery of that God didn't say hey I'm gonna kind of take care of all this from over here I came down he says I came down to rescue them from the hands of Egyptians and bring them from out of that land and then what's the next phrase and into a good and spacious land. And if you had heard this, and like Moses, and then when he delivers it to the people, he says, listen, God has come down to bring you out of slavery, and he's going to put you into a good and spacious land. We'd all be like, great, where do we sign up? But here's what they didn't know. Here's what they weren't prepared for. And here's what we're not prepared for so many times. What's it look like from the out of to the into? See, on paper, it sounds like a short trip. It sounded like a jumbo jet that was just going to be like, "Hey, we're going. To, you'll be here today and here tomorrow." But God gave no indication of the time factor or the experiences between bringing them out of and delivering them into. And here's the thing about this, and God knew this ahead of time, and Moses learned this. You can't skip that part. It's a necessary part. And we got to keep in mind when we're out of but being waiting to be delivered into, you got to keep in mind, just like the Israelites, the desert was never the intended destination. The desert was transitional. See, it was never meant to be the final destination. Instead, God was going to use what happened from the out of and the in between. He was going to use that as an opportunity to shape them and to mold them and to establish trust and connection and faith in him. So here we are. They're in this land between, and they begin to have their first issue. Their issues is a food issue. And you go, well, at first, that's not a big deal, right? I mean, it's not like we're at the melting calf yet, right? They've not kind of worshiped. We're having some food issues. That's a basic, that's a necessity of life. And so the food is not easily found in the desert. And so in Numbers chapter 11, we see that they're having this issue where they can't find enough food for the million of, millions of people that they have traveling with them. And so they have a moment where we feel like that, the, that they make a, a legitimate request. God, we need food. And so what we see is that God formulates and he provides daily this special formulated thing called manna. In fact, no one had seen manna before this, and, and so we, we're really not 100% what it is now. In fact, the, 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 Greek or the, the, the Hebrew word on this actually means what is it? And so they walk out and they're like, what is this? And it's, it's manna. And it was one of those deals where they could, could t- keep all of this, and it was nutritionally balanced. And uh, people say it's like a, a coriander seed. And they would take this, and they would grind it up, and they would make a mortar, or they would cook it in a pot, kind of like oatmeal, or they would make it into uh, these cakes. In fact, Exodus 16 kind of compares it to a wafer that's laced with honey. So I automatically thought of our communion bread. I thought, wow, who's going to complain at communion bread, right? I mean, they have this stuff every single day. And so every day what would happen, it says, as the dew would settle on the ground, so would this manna. And so they would wake up in the morning and they would collect it and they would start the process of feeding the family. Now, the problem was that nearly two years had gone by and guess what? Monday, they had manna. Tuesday, they had manna. Wednesday, they had manna. Thursday, they had manna. I can deal with five points pizza, but this stuff was driving them crazy. Now think back. What was the original request? God, we just need food. But God had delivered to them every single day. Albeit the same thing, no one was going hungry. There were not malnutritioned kids in the camp. It wasn't costing them a dime. They weren't even having to work for it. They'd open up their tent, boom, manna. Yeah, they had a little process, they had to grind it, but at the end of the day, it wasn't costing them, it just showed up outside. And here's the thing growing up that I missed hearing this story. I always thought it tasted bad. But there's no mention of that. Everyone thought it was good when they first ate it. So you look at this and you begin to say, so what's the issue? What's the problem? And even if there is a problem, it's it's a minor problem, right? Unless, again, unless habits of the heart lead to a pattern of response. And their response had become a spirit of complaint. And so in Numbers chapter 11, we see this begin to, to, ta- to kind of come to a head. In verse 4, I'm going to put it up here. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and, they, and again Israelites started wailing, complaining, whining. If only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost? Again, as if this manna was costing them anything, right? Also, the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics. I don't know what they're, they're cooking up, but I'm pretty sure I had a similar meal in Honduras. He says, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And again, we look at this and we go, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two years. Don't they have a right to complain about food? But what if we zoom out a second and we begin to again look at the whole story as they're traveling this land between? What if this is about more than just food? And this is the point where we get to begin to insert our stories and our land betweens and our sick and tireds. See, daily intake of manna was getting to them. But the real issue, and we're going to see this unfold in a second, the real issue was not the food. The real issue was the amount of anger and bitterness and resentment, their discontent. The issue was that they had fully given themselves over to a spirit of complaint. It has become their primary response. Something happens in life. There's a moment that's a little uncomfortable. Their reflex was to complain. Their reflex was to complain to the point, again, we talked about these two, to the point that they began to fantasize what it would be like to be back in Egypt. Now guys, where were they when they were in Egypt? They were slaves. That they had spent hundreds of years begging for a deliverer. They were to a point where they had become so conditioned. And the habit of the heart had become so complaint driven. That their reaction, their patterns of reaction was complaint, 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 complaint. complaint and it began to skew the deliverance that they had from back here they begin to fantasize and say, "Oh, what we you do to just go back and it had messed with them they had this romanticized version of where they even came from in fact, verse 18, if you fast forward says, "If only we could go back to Egypt now that sounds absurd if you know where they came from and the treatment and the hands by which they worked, and 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 the life that they were living, and they felt zero control over, and they felt no escape from it. You would think like, it only took two, like this is crazy, right? But the spirit of complaint. And you go, well, Jason, it's just an isolated issue. No, it's not. If you look through their story, Exodus 15, they have a water issue. Again, what we're trying to do is is look and zoom in on habits of the heart that's created patterns of response. Exodus 15, they have a water issue. Water's water's not drinkable. It says it was bitter. And so guess what they do? Their knee-jerk reaction, their pattern of response, complain. So they go, and they whine, and they moan to Moses. And so God says, all right, Moses, here's the deal. Go get a branch off that tree, throw it in the water. Say what? Just grab a branch off the tree and throw it in the water. So he goes over, and he grabs a branch, and he throws it in the water, and it says that the water turned from bitter to sweet. It was fresh water. And so we see that God delivers not only life, but he, de- he delivers that which is sweet from that which is bitter. Turn the page, Exodus 16, they have a food crisis, different food crisis than before. And so, again, we look at this and go, listen, it's not an over-the-top. It's not like they were complaining that you know, their jeans were last year's style. It's not like they were complaining that their steak was overcooked. They didn't have food. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable, right? So again, the habit of the heart showed itself in a reaction, and they've complained. And so God says, all right, all right, all right, I got it. In fact, I remember last time he wanted some meat, so here's what he does. He not only sends manna, it says that he sends quail, fresh meat. And everybody's like, oh, hey, turn the page. I'm not making this up. Turn the page. Exodus 17, 15, 16, 17. Exodus 17, we get to a place, and guess what? They find themselves with a water problem again. And so they, like they've always done, and again, this is where I begin to pause and go, have you guys not learned anything? You were enslaved and God delivered you. You were facing a body of water as the Egyptian army came to get you and God opened that up and you walked through on dry land. You didn't have water and all you had to do was throw a twig. You didn't have food and he sent you manna on multiple occasions and he sent you quail. And we begin to go, have you not learned anything here? But guess what they do? The habits of their heart had created patterns of response. And so they come to Moses and they complain. And God says, all right, let me do what I do. He says, see the rock? Go over there and take your staff and just tap the rock. Excuse me, what? Yep, just tap the rock. The rock has no value, right? The rock is dead. So Moses goes over and he taps the rock. And guess what flows? cracks open, and guess what flows? Fresh water. And again, God delivers. He does what he does. He brings something that is alive out of something that is dead. Only God can do those things, and they've seen it over and over. Now, this is the point where we begin to look at this story and go, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? And before we jump in and point fingers at the Israelites, at their petty ungrateful, whining and complaining attitude. This is the point of the story where I want to pause and let's gaze. I want us to gaze into our own lives because what I know is true in mine is that I can be pretty petty. Day 17, I found myself complaining about good chicken and fresh vegetables, eating at home with my beautiful wife. And I began to look before I point the finger too hard at the Israelites and go, what is wrong with you people? I began to look and go, wow, I'm pretty acquainted with the complaint department myself. And I began to look into other areas of my life and go, wow, I I never really stopped to think. And and I really don't think it's a big deal, but I, I find myself complaining about traffic that's taking me to a job that allows me to provide for my family. Or I complain about, and we begin to fill these blanks in. And the reason I want to stop and pause here is because in order for us to grow, and we said that growth always happens in the land between last week, but in order for us to grow, we can't put ourselves above this story. We've got to take a second and put ourselves among the story. And if we're not careful, we'll read through this and we'll just grow to some sort of of, of, of perspective that, you know what, they were really sorry and lousy, faithful people. But we begin to put ourselves in the story and we begin to say, okay, what would it look like in your life if there was some, quote, minor things that that weren't seeming to let up? And the point is, is that we can't be given over to this spirit. And there's a fine line. I think that God wants us to be open and honest about our needs and about our our trials and our hardships, but we got to be careful because if we're not, what will happen is that we will move from having feelings about something and having needs about something to harboring bitterness about something. And we'll find ourselves in a moment where all of a sudden you go, wow, I complain a lot because what we've done is we've crossed the fine line that exists between honesty and complaining about it. And this is dangerous because when we walk into it, And if we don't have this moment where we gaze into this story and begin to put ourselves among this story, we will walk into it and and we will, if we're not fully aware and we're not mindful of this, we will begin to create, I told you at the beginning, small things. But we will begin to create habits of the heart that will lead to patterns of response. And guess what? That's now what is directing us through this. And the Israelites' habitual reaction was complaint, 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 complaint. So what's left is what will ours be? Here we sit. You don't really know where we're going yet. I can see where I came from, and I'm sick and tired what will our response be? I just want to encourage you as we kind of walk through the process over the next few weeks, answer carefully. Answer carefully. Find yourself preparing before you even get into the land because your response is a pretty big deal. As we land this morning, I want want you to know that there are going to be moments that you will grow sick and tired. And there are going to be moments where you find yourself weary and frustrated, but if we're not careful, hear me out for the next five minutes, if we're not careful, what will happen is complaint will begin to take residence in our heart. And it's these little things. And at first glance, you go, complaining is not that big of a deal. It just kind of comes out. I mean, it's about... It's not even about important things. It's minor, right? But as we continue to look and unfold this story, I mean, they were complaining about food, and after all, they had the same thing for two years. I mean, don't they have a right to at least voice something? But here's the problem. As we look at the rest of this story of Israel, what we see is that God takes this really seriously. That's why I told you to answer carefully. Because what happens when we allow this to become the pattern of our response, is that their complaints was not rejection of food. What happened was it began to be such a habit of response that it became a rejection of him. You go, whoa, 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 that, let's not make that leap, right? you are just complaining about food. But if you go down, look in verse 19. Verse 19, this is after they said, if only... We had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Here's what the Lord does in verse 19. He says, you will not eat it for just one day or two days. He says, five or 10 or 20 days, but a whole month. He says, you're going to eat it until it comes out your nostrils. You ever had that moment? My mom used to tell me that like Brussels sprouts. You're going to eat it until it, right? He says, and loathe it. And here's, here's, don't miss this. Why? Why? Because you rejected the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but that's when I pumped the brakes and went, hold up, I thought we were just talking about food. I thought we were just talking about traffic, or I thought we were just talking about a job. I thought we were just talking about, you know, trivial things in life that I just get tired of. And God says, it's fine, we can be honest about what you need. But when you give yourself over to a spirit of complaint you create such habits of the heart that now all of a sudden those things have turned into pattern of responses at some point God says I begin to take those things personal and here's why they weren't just rejecting the food they were rejecting the God who was providing it for them and I want to decipher I want to translate one more thing for you because again I want this to hit home and begin to allow us to think as we go through our week when they said God We are better off in Egypt. God, we were better off as slaves. You know what they were really saying? God, we were better off without you. And guys, when we get to that place, when you just think it's about food, what you begin to say is, God, that we really wish you would provide in another way. And then we respond again, and we respond again, and we respond again. And before you know it, God's like, do you really even need me? Because everything I do for you, you just complain about. That's the danger. They were on the brink of a life-threatening situation, and he provides again and again. And we look at this and go, shouldn't trust be being built in these moments? But no. Because again, they had given themselves over to this habit, but instead, they're just complaining about anything and everything. And this is the point. Guys, response matters in the land between. Response matters in life. Dependence on God is going to be vital. Hear me out. It's going to be vital to get you through these moments. And the land between is going to serve as training ground for dependence on God. It's not easy, but we never said it was going to be easy. You know that these moments aren't easy. But I want you to see them as a necessity, that God in these moments is going to use these moments and allow these moments so that you can somehow find more dependency, more trust, more faith in a God that always comes through, that we want to get to a place, whether we've reached the destination, but while we're in the desert where we listen, we say... God can be trusted to give me the things I need at just the right time that I need them. And guess what? They may come from rocks. They may come from some places that i never even seen them coming from. And what these people, what the Israelites lacked is the very same thing I lack. It's the very same thing we lack. We lack vision for the future. We don't know where this is going. And all we see is the immediate. And we see the immediate need and the immediate discomfort. And and, and I'm not using this word lightly, but sometimes the journey... Wasn't simply, and I don't want to simplify your issues, but the, the the journey was simply transitional. It was not the destination. And what they needed in this moment was the very thing that God was trying to instil and trying to connect with them and trying to provide. What they needed in this moment was patient endurance. They needed patience that was born from a belief that God is good. We've seen it with our own eyes, He's good. It's born from a belief that says not only is God good, but he exposes it, and we get to experience his goodness in a hundred different ways. I've seen it in a hundred different ways, and so what makes me think I won't see it again? And while it may not be instant, I'm going to be patient because I've seen God's goodness, and it never lets down, it never fails. And that patience begins to turn into endurance that is born from a trust that I am deeply loved by God, And the more I feel that I'm loved by God, what I figure out is in that process, in this enduring process is that God loves to provide for me. That's what they missed. At some point, you think they would have realized that, man, not only does God love me and I'm going to wait patiently for the way he's going to show up at just the right time, but he loves to surprise me. I would love to have seen their face when when water came out of the rock. They had to have just went, what just happened? And they lost sight of this, that God is not only good, but God loves us and he loves to provide for us in ways that we didn't see coming. So we can grow in that way or we can grow in the other way because the other side of the coin is this, is that complaint, a spirit of complaint is born from a sense of hopelessness where we begin to believe that sick and tired, the tiresomeness of life is all that there ever is. We can grow in patient endurance or we can give over to the other side and grow in that way where we go, you know what, right now is as good as it's good, it's what I deserve, it's never going to get any better, I wish I could go back there, apparently this is never going to happen and we begin to live in this place where we are, we are rooted, now hear this, where we become suspicious of God and whether or not he's really good. I begin to go, is he really as good? You know, because I was celebrating his goodness when when he recovered me from slavery. But now I'm in this tough moment and we become suspicious of the very God that we've seen acting on our behalf. Guys, response matters. And I don't want you to just survive the land between. I want you to thrive in the land between. I want you to grow in it. I want us to be shaped by the land between. That's why I told you our goal is not to find the quickest exit out because in these moments, we establish a deeper connection with God, a God who loves you. And as you experience these things, God's goodness, what you're going to see is, again, it was never the destination. God will always overcome those things. I don't know how. I don't know when, but I promise you God's love wins out, it conquers, and that the desert will not be the end of me. I want you to stand with me as we kind of end today. The question that is left is this How will you and I respond to these moments that's in between? Will we respond with trust? Will we respond with faith? Will we allow ourselves to take the experiences and to be taught by these experiences, these hard moments to develop a greater dependency upon God? What will the habits of the heart become? Because whatever the habits of the heart become will be the patterns of response. And so as we continue to complain and moan about minor things. Don't be surprised when you find yourself in a hard moment and all you know to do is complain in the hard moments. Guys, response matters. Our response, what if I told you, our response to adversity may have a greater impact in shaping who you become than the adversity itself. What if the moment that you think is going to crush you is not the moment that crushes you, but instead the way you respond to it will be what determines whether you get crushed or not. See, the, the, the response to our adversity will likely have a greater response, a greater impact on what you become when you get to the other side of the land between than the land between itself. Jeff Mannion says this, and I'm done. I've told you I'm done three times. Our daily responses determine what people will be 20 years from now. Each time I get hurt, each time I get burned, each time I feel betrayed, and every time I'm battered, I'm deciding through my response what kind of person I'm becoming on the other side. And guys, I don't want you to just survive. God wants us to thrive. And I know there's some moments right here that are painful and hurtful. But can we lean in and trust God to say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to create good rhythms and patterns in my heart because I know that those things will lead to the way that I respond. And because I want to get to the other side, being a better person, a more faithful person, a more trusting person, God, I'm going to trust you in these moments. And so, yeah, I'm tired of eating manna. But God, I'm thankful that you provided for me.